Welcome to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Green Code. We are a tech startup based down in Cornwall, and it is our mission to reduce food waste in the hospitality and food service sector. In today's episode, we hear from MasterChef The Professionals winner, Stephen Edwards, about his interest in sustainable hospitality. Next, we speak to Alex Vlasopoulos, CEO of Kitch, the app that helps you to reduce your food waste at home. Finally, Claire James from Odyssey Innovation talks to us about how they transform marine litter into workable products like kayaks and paddle boards. First up, here's MasterChef The Professionals winner, Stephen Edwards. So today we are joined by MasterChef, the professionals winner, Stephen Edwards. Welcome to Zero Waste Code. Would you like to introduce yourself and your restaurant? Yeah, so my name's uh, Stephen Edwards. The restaurant, uh, I've got a couple of restaurants. I've got one down in Hove uh, near Brighton called Etch and another restaurant in Richmond, London called Stephen Edwards at the Bingham River House. Fantastic. So what was your journey to opening Etch and your other restaurant? So the, the journey to opening the restaurants really started um, after MasterChef. You know, it's always been a dream of mine to have my own restaurant, but I didn't think um, it would become a reality uh, until, you know, winning a show uh, like MasterChef, which really like accelerated um, that journey. And, you know, after winning MasterChef, it wasn't like I had loads of offers to, to open my own restaurant. It's, it's really like you're thrown into a different world. Um, and, you know, I wanted... I wanted full control, you know, over what what I do and how I represent myself. Um, you know, when I when I started creating Etch, I wanted that to be like the food philosophy that I have, and um, and that's difficult when you when you're working with shareholders or you want to open up a new restaurant because everyone wants something different from that. So the journey was probably a little bit longer from from winning MasterChef to opening the restaurant than I wanted, but I couldn't be happier um, with where I am today with with that control that I've got to basically change the direction of the company um how I want to yes so speaking of MasterChef do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience on the program you know was sustainable dining ever focused on at all yeah so you know when um when you asked that question I was like it actually was featured even though it was um in 2013 um the, the show itself was I saw it in two parts. Like I've always loved being um, a competitive person and a competitive chef. And, you know, I did a few different chef competitions throughout my early career. And that's what drove me to apply for MasterChef. But I've never done anything quite like that because it's almost like a mix between a competition and a reality show where you're, you're being tracked with, with, with your every movement. It's very nerve-wracking in the fact that you're just scared about making a mistake and especially being a professional chef I think you've got that added pressure of um, failure um, because I think the amateurs can just go in they've already got their normal day job and it's just like as long as they give it their all they're fine whereas for me I was head chef um, of a five-star hotel and I was so worried about letting them down or you know if you go out in the first round or the skills test then I might not have a job to go back to after the show um to answer your question about sustainability, there was actually they actually put four chefs into the final because they couldn't split um, myself and the chef called Adam Handlin. Um, and what they did to kind of split us, 
uh, or to get it down from four to three is Monica um, basically emptied emptied the bins onto the table so like the food waste bins onto the table which had things like you know like a cod carcass so we're expected to use the cod's cheeks um or it could be like the rinds of pancetta or turnip tops things like that so when she emptied the bins onto the table it was quite a shock to all four of us um when she said she she wanted us to create uh two dishes from from these scraps from the bin and i think um from what i remember obviously social media was quite quite young um back then but i think it shocked a few people that you know what could be made from from stuff that is normally just thrown in the bin um and i would say it kind of had like a lasting impression on me from when she did that um because i always i always think in my restaurant is like when it's going in the bin i'm like why is it going in the bin can we do something with that is that have we exhausted all processes you know to to utilize it not just from a cost point of view but um from a creativity point of view as well you know we want to be different we want to be um doing something that no one else is doing and i think by by looking at what you're wasting you can come up with some great innovative ideas so how do you try and approach dining sustainably, such as I see you use a lot of local sourcing? Yeah, so we, we started Etch being like uber, uber local, really trying to just source from Sussex. Um, and that creates a, a, a challenge in itself is that, you know, Sussex necessarily isn't the best for everything. So I would say, you know, we, we work with companies from the British Isles and um, Western Europe and really just look at their processes as well and make sure it's aligned with, with what we want from a product. You know, are they being sustainable? And also there's a massive quality uh, point on there. Is, is, is the quality right to, to be used in a restaurant like Etch? We're trying to balance those two things together to really making sure that we're giving our diners um, the best of what we can do. Um, sustainability is just a natural thing that comes, comes with what we do in the restaurant because like, like I've said before, is we're always looking at waste and that doesn't necessarily have to be food waste. It could just be you know for example when we took over etch we we made the decision not to have gas plumbed into the restaurant so we only use electric um because you know we can see the way the future's going um we don't want to be in a position where we've been cooking on gas for for 10 years and that's how our recipes have been written and then all of a sudden changed to electric we wanted to be you know a pioneer and being one of the first restaurants to be fully electric and and that that way we're you know, we're being creative with with what we got around us. Um, other things as well is making sure we use just like I hate things being printed out, so we try not to use too much um, stationery. Um, it tends to be as a you know, for example, like recipes are all on Dropbox files. All the team can access recipes and um, standards and procedures through that through their phone, um, which I think is really important in this day and age um you know it means i can be remote and adjust a recipe as well which is so it's, it's more of a benefit benefit for me and and the company um rather than just from a sustainable issue you know if uh, if one of the chefs has got a problem with the recipe i can have a look at it on my laptop at home make um tweaks and then they're able to to see like a live update on that you know rather than having a recipe book in a kitchen that's a bit grubby or gets printed out every now and again um that i don't see as like very sterile either but um that's basically our decision making when it comes to sustainability Fantastic. so obviously you've always had a passion for food 
were all these sustainable practices something you'd always aimed for when dreaming of opening a restaurant or was it something that just happened? I would say the sustainability side just just happened. I mean, when you when you have to make decisions, because I've kind of gone from a world where I was a head chef in in a five star hotel to now being a company director. And there's there's a massive difference between the two. I mean, I, I love being a director because it means I can control everything from you know, everything that's part of the guest journey. So from when you make a booking to when you arrive, it's not just about the food. And it's the same with being a company director is that, you know, I get to see, I have to make a decision on, on lots of things. And I'm always looking, not just for now, what's the easiest thing to do now? I'm almost looking like five years ahead in like, how will this decision I make now affect us in five years time? And that's where I think sustainability comes into, into, into play. Because we don't want to be in a, in, in a situation where we've completely used a complete resource out and we can't use that product anymore. Or like, like I said about the gas situation at the restaurant, we don't want to be in a situation where, where we're on the back foot. I think we want to be at the, at the, the forefront of change and, and be ahead of the game. So at Etch, you have a tasting menu. So what does this mean? And does this make dealing with food waste any different to a normal commercial restaurant? So you're absolutely right. With Etch, we've got a tasting menu. We offer the, the, the choice in the tasting menu that we offer our guests is a choice between five, seven and nine courses. And for anyone that hasn't had a tasting menu, it basically means that we've taken the choice away from from you um, and it's really just to experience the chef's creations um, in, in a series of small small dishes one after the other that that flows on a, on a, on a journey um, and what I love about the, the concept of Etch is that it's always evolving so no two weeks menus are the same throughout the year we're, we're constantly changing two or three dishes a week um you know from from that nine course menu and really just being ultra seasonal um i do believe it's more sustainable as well for example um you know the, the way the menus are kind of drawn out is that we've got like a vegetable dish a fish dish a meat dish a shellfish dish so it's all dishes from like the british larder um there's not too much repetition of flavors and you know for example the fish dish on the on the menu it changes 13 times throughout the year. It changes every four weeks. So if we've got something like hake on the menu, which is really underutilized, it's beautiful when it's in season. Um, it's only on there for four weeks and we're not using a lot of it. But when we do use it, we're making sure it's line caught, it's quality, um, and, and we're doing the best we possibly can with it. And I think you asked about, is, are we doing the taster menu for sustainability? A part of that is, is yes, you know, it's, um, you know, we're not constantly using the same product over and over again. We're not a big restaurant, but I think we play our part in, in that as well. You know, we're only 32 covers. We probably only do, you know, eight to 10,000 um, guests a year. So we're not like a huge, huge establishment. Um, but what was really important um, to me is just minimizing food waste and, by having a set menu and knowing who our guests are when they come in, how many they are uh, and what their likes and dislikes are. Because we also tailor make the menu as well to dietary requirements, um, which I think is important. Um, we're able to minimize food waste down to almost nothing. 
Um, the only food waste we have is stuff that's that's trimmed up or and again maybe my job is literally like chief bin watcher but uh, I love to see like what the guys are, are putting in our food waste bins so it doesn't go into the general waste bin it goes into a food waste bin that then gets um, composted by a local company um, who we also buy vegetables from so it's a really nice um, food circle that we go through but I'm always looking, does it have to go in the food waste bin? And some things you can't avoid um, going in there. Um, but also that's been some of the, you know, some of our best ideas are, you know, are from, from, what's, from what's gone in the bin. So how has the ongoing pandemic affected your restaurant operation? Yeah, so um, we've adapted in, um, in a lot of ways to the pandemic um, in terms of the, the restaurant itself. We are quite COVID friendly uh, with the diners spaced out, um, but we've had, to, we've had to take extra measures um, by reducing the amount of covers in the restaurant at one time. Um, and because of the toilets um, being down a narrow corridor, we've had to you know, create a system where uh, almost like a buzzer system where they've had to just ask before they go down. So we're controlling the flow of guests. Um, but the thing that's really benefited us is the, is the demand, um, I believe, has got higher uh, because a lot of restaurants are at reduced capacity. Uh, and that's meant that we're, we're probably busier. When we've been able to open, we've been busier than, than ever. Um, we haven't gone down the takeaway route. Um, instead, we've been investing our time in and looking at ways to grow the business um, out of the pandemic um, and hopefully that will prove successful. Fantastic so finally uh, where can our listeners find out more about you or your restaurants? Yeah so you can go to my website stephen-edwards.co.uk or follow me on socials which is Stephen X Edwards and um, yeah hopefully when when we're allowed to it'd be great to, to see some of you down at the restaurant. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you. Next up, here's Alex Vlasopoulos to tell you how to use his app, Kitch. Fantastic. So today we are joined by Alex Vlasopoulos, founder of the app Kitch. Welcome to Zero Waste Code. Would you like to introduce yourself and your app? Thank you very much for having me today, uh, Amy. Um, so... Uh, I am indeed Alex Vesopoulos. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Kitch. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. And Kitch is a home food waste reduction app, um, which uh, I'm looking forward to telling you all about. Fantastic. So, yeah, what was the inspiration behind founding Kitch? Was food waste something you've always been particularly passionate about? What I'd say is... I was always passionate about food. Uh, I, as a kid, I, I think there were two things I wanted to be. One was a chef and uh, the other was an inventor, a mad inventor of some variety. So I think ending up in, in, in food and technology is, 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 um, has fulfilled those dreams. Uh, as far as food waste particularly, being completely honest, I didn't know it was an issue uh, until I uh, came up with the idea of, of, of Kitsch. Um, about five and a half years ago um, and uh, it was actually that so the origin of Kitch came when I was simply talking in the park in London with some friends of mine uh, one of which Lindsay is now the chief marketing officer of Kitch um, and they were telling me how much food they waste at home and I, I just didn't get it I didn't understand it 
Uh, I'm the chef at home for my family of four or cook, (laughs) maybe not a chef. And um, I didn't really understand how you could waste food at home. And they were telling me they just forget what they have in the back of the freezer or in the cupboard or they go shopping and and forget what they have at home and buy it again and all these things. And I I was a bit baffled. So uh, at the time, I knew nothing about food waste as a problem. Um, But then when I took it upon myself to create an app um, to solve the problem that my friends told me about, uh, I learned more about food waste and the horrific stats uh, behind it. And what started as a hobby has now become my mission uh, to fight food waste. Fantastic. Yeah. So how does Kitch help its users to tackle home food waste and would you be able to give us you know some statistics about the food we waste at home as well i'll give you the st- statistics first to sort of frame the conversation because it's it's pretty horrific so firstly a third of the world's food is wasted 70 percent of that is in the home so the, the vast majority of global food waste is in the home and when you take that into account uh, sorry when you yeah when you take that into account versus 9% of the global population starving, there's a problem that could fix itself immediately on a, you know, on a global level. So that's, that's terrifying. The cost implication of that is more than a trillion dollars globally. Um, The environmental cost of of that globally is 4.4 gigatons of CO2 emissions. Um, And in the UK, uh, where Kitch is focused, it's um, 15 billion pounds. And on a household basis, family, you know, a family household, it's 720 pounds of, of lost money every year on on um, on food waste. So on an environmental, um, economic and planetary level, it's horrific. Uh, is, and the vast majority of it is in the home. It's us. It's all of us. So um, those are the stats. And so what we what we're doing with the Kitsch uh, app is um, essentially trying to help people, citizens, all of us, reduce our own uh, food waste at home, thus saving food waste and saving ourselves money. So it's a it's providing a whole bunch of functionality. I guess it's sort of self help tools. Um, to enable that. So for example, there's the ability to scan a shopping receipt with your phone camera. um, And then we bring in all the products and prices. Uh, We database match it with a nice clean um, set of uh, user-friendly product names. We add reminder dates for all those, um, uh, all the products you've imported and we categorize them all. So um, a carrot is obviously fruit and veg category and we'd we'd set a five-day reminder uh, for that product, for example. All of that's automated in about six or seven seconds just with the click of the camera. So instantly we're solving the issue of knowing what you have at home when you're out about and also giving people reminders for what they have at home um, while they're out and about or at home as we (laughs) increasingly are at the moment. Um, And then on top of that, there's the ability to get what we call smart recipes. So you can click on products in the app and get recipes that use up those products uh, specifically uh, with other ingredients, of course. So you use your products uh, rather than wasting them. 
Uh, we've also got uh, recently launched a shopping list functionality. It's a bit of a no-brainer uh, to add that in because creating lists and shopping lists um, it is another important way of, of ensuring you buy what you eat um, and, uh, and don't overbuy, for example. Uh, we've just instilled a kitchen tip section, so a whole bunch of food waste hacks, tips and tricks um, from, uh, from great resources like the Love Food, Hate Waste um, um, sites uh, and, and many others. And then finally, for, for monitoring your food waste, um, users can swipe on a product in the app and it gets added to a tossed section of the app where on a daily, weekly basis, you can monitor how much food or what food you're wasting, what products, and how much money, importantly, that's that associated waste has cost you. And then you get a reminder every Monday morning saying, hey, Amy, this is this is how much you wasted and which products you wasted last week. You know, let's try and break it down. Uh, so we're so there's lots of, and many more features to come. Um, so there's a whole bunch of, as we say, kind of self-help tools to 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 try and sort of change your behavior in the kitchen for the better. Good stuff. Yeah. So I suppose that's, that's one of the main reasons, but how does Kitch differ from food redistribution apps such as Olio and Too Good To Go? So we, first thing I'd say is it's, an, it's a really great community to be in at the moment in some food tech, particularly food waste startups. So we're very friendly with, uh, with the team over at Too Good To Go and Olio uh, and Oddbox and, uh, and, and many others. Uh, and we're all, we're all working together to fight food waste. It's a big enough problem that, that requires several parties to, to, to get involved. Um, and, and we love what they're doing. So we are, as you say, we're coming at it from a different angle. And so what we, what we want to do is try and help people save their food waste at home so there is no need to, you know, share food with a, with other households, for example, um, and kind of attack that problem, uh, uh, attack the problem at, at that stage. Um, and uh, and again, you know, from a retail perspective, both the companies you mentioned are, are looking at retail redistribution, which is hugely important. Um, again, you know, our, our focus is in the home. Um, it is the majority of food waste, um, and but it requires behaviour change. So it's a, it's a tough job, and we know that, and we're willing to take it on. Yeah, so actually speaking of behavioural change, how difficult is it to inspire behavioural change? Have you found it hard to get people on board with reducing their food waste themselves? So firstly, uh, it is, of course, it's hard to drive behaviour change. But secondly... I think we are well equipped to do that because an app is absolutely the right medium for driving behavior change because you've got all the great functionality from a smartphone, including push notifications and all these nudges that you can, you can, um, uh, you can offer up uh, to drive that behavior change. Um, so uh, it, it is definitely tough, but we brought on a member of the team, Letitia, who's comes with a psychology um, degree and background uh, and experience in behavior change to really sort of, uh, you know, bolster our, our, our knowledge in that respect. Um, you know, it takes 28 days um, to drive behavior change um, and then a little bit more to really sort of drive it into practice. 
But I think, um, so again, like I say, the app is a, an app is a great medium to do that. Um, but really, if you look at the pandemic last year, uh, or the first lockdown, sorry, in 2020, um, food waste at home did reduce while people were lo- you know, locked up and, uh, and you know, food was more scarce uh, and supermarket access was, was harder. But then it shot straight back up when the first lockdown ended. So that was, I think, around three months. So even that length of period did not drive behavior change. So I think it's going to take many, many months to to really instill this kind of um, this kind of change of behavior at home. Because I think there's two challenges. Firstly, many people at home do not think they have a problem with food waste. So that's the first tackle um, problem to tackle. And then the second problem is obviously keeping them engaged with an app that's ultimately telling them you know you've been a bit naughty on food waste so uh, you know which which we're we're addressing so um it's tough but we're we're seeing great results at the moment we've got users um uh, from various demographics and ages that have already become zero waste from using kitsch so we we in fact have a um a mother of four uh who's in her 50s uh who's been using kitsch since we launched um couple of years ago and she's she's become zero waste uh and uh and there are various other stories um in the similar space so it, it is working it is tough but we we are tackling that problem and and committed to it so do you have any idea of what the future holds for kitsch i i i hope i do um so actually you know, related to what I said earlier, that at the moment there's a lot of functionality which is essentially telling people, you know, how much they're wasting and trying to nudge them to change that behavior. What we're gonna bring in very soon is more of a positive reinforcement to the app as well. So we're gonna bring in a whole set of functionality um, with gamification elements. So, you know, as a sneak peek, there'll be sort of gold, silver and bronze spoons and badges and this, that and the other other for interacting with the app um so so there's sort of more of those euphoric moments and and feel good moments uh, from the app so it's not going to be so much of a stick it will be a stick and a carrot um so uh, which we think is really going to help uh engagements and uh and uh positive sentiment from the app and then also uh so that's sort of immediate term functionality but i think in the longer term we are looking to partner with supermarkets, um, with uh, other companies uh, around the country to bolster the technology and um, add convenience for users. So for example, we're talking to supermarkets about having a login. Um, so instead of having to scan your receipts, they sit, you simply log into your local supermarket um, uh, sign up and and all the products will magically appear and we do all of our our, our magic in the in the back end and you don't have to scan any receipts so that which was the original vision for kitsch so though that should be a reality uh, later this year and i think at that point we've got a really great seamless experience for for customers fantastic so finally where can our listeners download your app or follow you online um, so firstly, the app is free um, and uh, it's available in the UK, 
uh, on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Um, and to spell Kitsch is K-I-T-C-H-E. So just search for Kitsch and you can download it for free from both of the app stores. Um, you can follow us um, on Instagram at Kitsch and, uh, and likewise on Facebook, which is at Kitsch Application. And, um, uh, and our website is www.kitsch.co. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Last but not least, we welcome Claire James from Odyssey Innovation. Could you just tell us a bit about the kind of history and journey of Odyssey Innovation and how it was kind of created? Yeah, so the business was set up by Rob Thompson, who's local to Cornwall. Um, and he's a diver, grew up down here. And I think through his diving, he started to see an increase in marine litter in the areas he was diving. So he thought, oh, I need to sort of stop this, get this out of the ocean, which is then he set up a charity where he was diving and getting nets off wrecks. Um, but he thought that one, one time they were diving and they got back and there was all this netting and there was nowhere to recycle it. So he then decided that um, to make kayaks out of it and into that, there went a lot of work, but that was sort of like the inspiration behind how the business was set up. So mm. the fact there was nowhere to recycled. Um, so that's sort of the history. And that was about five years ago. Um, so there's been quite a lot of development um, to get it all working and find out where a shredder is. And um, But that's that's the history behind it. That's, where it you, you mentioned there that he was diving when he when he was finding this this kind of marine litter and I know that mm. that's an aspect of like your your guys's process so tell us a bit more about the process that you go through of like diving collecting the rubbish and then and then turning it into something else yeah so at the time the charity was diving and collecting the rubbish but um as Rob progressed in his sort of looking at the problem he realized it would be better if we could stop the nets and the sort of hard plastics getting into the ocean in the first place, which is where the net regeneration scheme side of the business came about. So that's the side in which now we provide a free recycling scheme to harbors around the Southwest so that the fishermen have somewhere in which um, their nets can go. So we'll take the nets off them for free. And then this material is shredded and used in order to make the kayaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, where we get most of the material now from. And also it it helps to prevent the nets getting into the ocean in the first place. So it saves that stage, which doesn't need mm-hmm. to happen. So that, that was where that came from, where a lot of the material comes from now. Obviously still, there's a lot of beach clean groups we work with who will collect nets like Ghostbusters um, and they'll find nets on beaches and we'll, we'll take them off their hands. So we still recycle lots that are found in the ocean and on the beaches but also trying to prevent stuff getting into the ocean as well so that's yeah you've gone from kind of like recognizing the problem coming up with a solution and then and then coming up with a way to actually get rid of the problem in the first place which is just so fantastic and and I just love that kind of concept could you give us a bit more of a background on on like you've you've talked about like how this problem is is damaging damaging our oceans could you just go into a bit more of the issues our oceans are being caused by by marine plastics 
Yeah, so obviously there's quite a few issues. Um, entanglement of marine life is one, which is happening all over the world. Um, we see it down here in Cornwall with lots of the seals sometimes get plastic um, sort of round their necks and then like tighten and then that's where the seal sanctuary has to come in and luckily um, that's around to help rehabilitate them. Um, and seabirds as well ingest a lot of plastic so found, often found in their um, stomach and they'll feed that to their chicks accidentally which is not not very good either and this is um, more of the microplastics so you've got obviously the big nets and hard plastics which are found and noticed quite easily but there's also a lot of tiny little microplastics which um, are a lot harder to see but are everywhere in the ocean on the beaches and they get into the food chain so they'll go into the fish and then the bigger mammals will eat them including us so it is eventually getting into our systems as well um, so it is all very interconnected um, then those are a few of the problems um, yeah it's it's quite a big big interconnected issue that it's all our responsibility to try yeah. and reduce yeah. and and one of the things that you're doing in Cornwall to tackle this is your is your paddle for plastic campaign so so tell us because you've mentioned the kayaks already but tell us a bit more about this campaign and and, and kind of what it's trying to achieve so yeah as part of it the paddle for plastic is basically um using the products the kayaks um and we've got a few new products coming on that we make out of the marine recycled plastic to then go out and collect more plastic and nets from inaccessible coves which you can't reach by walking because there's a lot of them around here. So yeah, we did one from Perrinport last year and we paddled towards St Agnes and there's quite a lot of coves along that beach. I mean, that stretch of coastline, um, which you can only get to by kayaking or paddleboarding. So we mm. collected a lot of litter and rubbish and popped them on the kayaks and paddle back. And then that will go to be recycled and into other marine products. So we try and obviously um, run a few of those a year and anyone who wants to can sort of get involved and arrange their own paddle for plastic obviously it's difficult doing big groups of things at the moment yeah COVID, but hopefully in another month it'll be we can still like do groups of six or seven once restrictions ease so yeah, yeah that's the, and yeah basically everyone to share their sort of paddles and collection of yeah and and what's kind of when you've gone out have you collected like a, a really shocking amount before is there been a time where you've gone out and you've brought back an amount that would just be unfathomable for some people yeah so the one we did at Perrinport um we had two kayaks um one double one single and they were fully loaded and there were still more on the coves but we didn't have enough kayaks to take the stuff back um so we paddled them back um and then actually a few a week later another big group went back to that cove to collect more because yeah we just didn't have enough sort of um mm -hmm. space on the kayaks and that was that was quite crazy how it wasn't a massive cove but there's just so much stuff that got wedged in all the rocks and obviously because yeah. no one goes there it's those kind of inaccessible coves as well where humans can't access by foot that kind of sea animals mm. want to 
come like they might want to nest there or come on shore there so yeah. actually it's kind of upsetting that that's where we find a significant amount of the, yeah. of the marine litter so so yeah that I mean the paddle yes. plastic campaign is just so fantastic so yeah thank you for thank you for going out and doing all of that um and we'll talk about a little bit more about how other people can get involved later on. Um, now, you also you've talked about the kayaks and, and you sell. Other, I think you're planning on selling others and you do sell other products that are made from these recycled marine uh, marine plastics. And tell us a bit about those and, and maybe what your most popular product has been so far. Um, yeah, so, so far, the kayaks have been the most popular. Um, we also do net bins so litter bins made out of marine recycled plastic which are popular with the harbours so they'll um, go and sit in the harbours and um, fishermen can put their nets in and that sort of thing so rather than virgin plastic bins they're using marine recycled plastic bins there they've been quite popular um, and then we just collaborated with a company called Nerdle who do who um, make marine plastic phone cases um, have a combination of the ghost nets and microplastics um, so that's an exciting little project and so mm. these phone cases are sort of being rolled out now um, and then in the next few months we're planning on releasing hand planes and paddle boards um, which is exciting for this year because obviously you can do lots of paddles you can fit quite a lot of plastic on paddle boards and mm. um, the hand are a nice alternative to polystyrene body boards um, for tourists mm. and that sort of thing. You can go out and catch waves and enjoy the ocean guilt-free. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in terms of the the impact that Odyssey Innovation is having, um, um, have you seen any of the effects of it yet? Ha is, has anything come of it yet? Yeah, so um, it's been a big impact especially down in the southwest. We've got 18 harbours on board now, including Padstow, Newquay, um, Newlyn recently, Mepagissi, um, Brixham. It's quite a long list and a few further up the coast um, coming on board in the next few months. And I think facts and figures wise, since, since 2017, we've recovered um, 104,000 kilograms of marine plastic um, and that's obviously increasing a lot um, and recycled 89,540 foot squared of nets into different products, which is the equivalent of 82 adult humpback whales. So had quite removed quite a lot of ocean plastic in the last few years and hopefully with more harbours coming on board and obviously the word getting out there will do more of that. Yeah. Um, this is just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, and do you have any kind of um, like hopes for the future of the circular economy in Cornwall and and I mean and further afield? Do you have any ideas about that? Yeah. So obviously, um, contributing to the circular economy is one of the massive factors with the business, and yeah, inspiring other people to do the same. I think seen definitely in the last few years quite a few different companies down here definitely um looking more at how they can incorporate ocean plastics into their products if it even if it's clothing and that sort of thing i think lots of people are looking at how they can sort of use recycled plastic rather than virgin plastics so i think that 
it's definitely a growing area and the more people you can get to realize the worth of it especially with businesses and other products is important um because really there's lots of plastic out there that can be recycled we don't need to make more <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's uh, important but i do think it's growing and there's a momentum with that so hopefully yeah. continue that momentum yeah, and I think as well, we're kind of at a turning point at the moment, aren't we, where we've realised that we do have the capacity to change our lives quite dramatically, really quickly. So so fingers crossed that keeps the momentum up and uh, keeps all of this amazing work happening at, this, at the pace it is. Um, and now, just so that our listeners can find you, um, yeah, where where can they find you and how can they get involved with your Paddle for Plastic campaign? Where can they find your products? Um, so we've got an Instagram and Facebook page under Odyssey Innovation, which is all about the business and the products. And then we've got a Paddle for Plastic page, Facebook page, which will have up and coming events on once things are allowed. And also we'll look at other share other people's paddle for plastics um and then we've got a website www.odysseyinnovation.com which is um a website where you can find more information about us videos about the net regeneration scheme showing you what we do and how work we work with the harbors um yeah and that's how you can find us really do you have a an email um that people can get uh, on yeah um if you email support at odysseyinnovation.com with any queries or anything you're interested in and we'll get back to you so. wonderful thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much take care Thank you for listening to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Greencode. If you'd like to find out more about us, then head to greencode.net, where you'll find all of our social medias and can sign up to our newsletter. See you in the next episode.